0: just preach the gospel, does that mean just preach the Bible? Because if it's just preach the Bible, then I have an open door to talk about everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. Because the Bible talks about everything. That's right. So I think it's, hey, just preach the gospel. I said, well, why don't you just preach the Bible? Yeah. And if you just preach the Bible, you're going to deal with everything in
1: culture. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith some of that stuff needs to be addressed but also too I think when you become outspoken you have to be really like your your problem is is that by and large you're self-censoring and mm-hmm. that's a slippery slope mm-hmm. um, so I, I constantly think about that all the time like um, I was joking about how far is too far but I constantly think about that yeah um, well then 15
0: years from now you look back at some of the thoughts you had and you're like, mm.
1: yeah but then there's also it's yeah. almost puritanical right you have the right to be wrong absolutely uh, how are you going to learn if you're not wrong yeah, and I think there's a the humility. It's like the whole Kevin Hart thing. It's yeah. like he had a perspective,
0: and then he got trashed, was it 15 years later? Yeah. And it's like there's no, there, in our
1: culture, there's no forgiveness to go back and say, well, I actually have a different point of view. It's like we need Jesus in this culture again. Yeah. Well, welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Juberman. Super stoked about having, oh, let me let, not mispronounce your name, actually, Calabrese. I say Calabrese, but I've... uh
0: Recently learned that it's Calabrese. Oh, okay. Because I traveled to Italy and I found out. That I Thought you might have been
1: talking to Peppo. You know who Peppo is? Yeah, he's great. He was on the he was on the show before, but so Calabrese, but it may be Calabrese. Calabrese is great. Okay. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, I wanted to have you on because you're a pastor at Calvary Chapel a Church I attend, uh, but also to you work with Frank, who was on the show um, uh, a week or so back, and he talked about kind of what happened with him mm-hmm. and then i wanted to have kind of like a follow-up conversation with you because what happened to him happened uh to and his story <laughs> <laughs> kind of happened to you and it's really impacted what we do as a church so uh, i wanted to talk about what we're doing now kind of in the aftermath of kind of like 2020 the what God's been doing in our church, and then the result of kind of some of the changes that our pastor experienced, and then probably people on staff and people like you. So so I'm really um, stoked about jumping into all of that stuff. But before we do that, I just want to say, let's go, Brandon. I love that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. You, yeah. Listen, I, I, in the car, you know, there's two versions of it that are really popular. Yeah. And I, uh, have you heard both of them?
1: No, I've only got the one. Which one? Well, no, I mean, I've heard the original, and then I've heard the, the sanitized version. Alexander one? No, I haven't heard
0: that. Yeah. Anyways, there's two of them. They're pretty – I mean, I enjoy them because I like hip-hop. <laughs> okay. But my, uh, I was showing my son, explaining to him in the car, like, hey, this is what it means and everything. And then uh, they've been saying it quite a bit.
1: Okay. Well, so I assume you didn't, like, explain the original meaning, but actually just kind of like what people are saying when they say, let's go, Brandon. Um, but I thought what's really cool, man, is that, you know – you can think whatever you want to about like the phrase or whatever because there's a lot of people who are like pearl clutching now like that's so vulgar because of its original like meaning right um which i think is just ridiculous um coming from like a community of people that are supposed to be pearl clutchers right so um i just think it's very convenient that when we do that but nonetheless it's so interesting to me that like uh I don't know the guy's name it may be who you just said but the rap song uh-huh. uh with let's go brandon that came came number 1 on iTunes and knocked Adele off of the her her number 1 spot I just thought like dude that is an indication of the power of culture. It's a huge indication.
0: And it's a huge indication of like the groundswell like of how people really feel about what's going on in our country. Yeah. You know, because it's two songs mm-hmm. on the top spots. Okay, so tell me about the two songs, because so I know the one right uh, song Bryson Gray. Okay, I think that's what I he had He had songs back when Trump was president on, uh, like, Trump Train and, like, Donald Trump is your president. Like, he had some pretty catchy songs. Okay. So he came out with a song that was that doesn't have any curse words in it. Okay. And he's a profess, professing Christian. And then this other guy, Lola Alexander, I think is his name. He came out with one after the. the and he has like the original chant from the race car track and all that stuff. So. Okay.
1: But there's two songs trending at
0: like number one and number three right now.
1: Yeah. See, I think the catchiness of it. See, I think people will miss this. And maybe I think too much. My wife says I do. Like, you're overthinking things, which is better than underthinking, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's really. I think it's taken off because it has two meanings. One is, it is it's an expression of how people feel about the president administration. But then two, it's also an expression about people's frustration over media because of the way the Let's Go Brandon thing started, which was a woman who was trying to kind of like uh, reframe what was actually you know? going on at that yeah. NASCAR event <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they were actually using the expletive. Right. And then she's like, oh, they're chanting Let's Go Brandon. And it was such a like classic example of the media spinning the obvious right. and it's just like common sense is dead in our society people are frustrated about it and so let's go Brandon became this kind of cry against the administration but also the media too
0: yeah now would you wear a sweatshirt that said let's go Brandon
1: I don't know I probably I, I see people to get get me wrong about this and maybe you too I'd be interested to hear um, people think that um, what I do is twofold probably wrong is one political in nature and i don't think it is and then two that um i'm just will say whatever um and and i try to be really really careful when i whenever i say anything that i say so i would i would want i would do it for my sake but i wouldn't do it maybe for the sake of other people but i don't know would you uh i think i have the same thoughts i mean there's the temptation just to to rock it yeah
0: but then you know thinking about maybe conversations that would not happen
1: because of just first glance at the shirt yeah you know yeah i think it's always wise to have that kind of um introspection but of course you can get in your own hand and you can uh stifle conversation as well by trying to uh by censor yourself by censoring yourself too much i think i've kind of leaned too far to that side right it's like i
0: mean it's like punk rock right
1: there's a that 80s culture movement that's like rebellion against
0: everything it's weird that that A sweatshirt that says that would be kind of similar to that movement, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. By the way, I got to say one more thing about this before we jump into the actual kind of subject of conversation is uh, so you talking about um, uh, or us talking about Let's Go Brandon made me think of uh, in Bryson Gray made me think of Floyd Mayweather um, just because both outspoken black men. So Floyd Mayweather, like yesterday, uh, defended Kyrie Irving Mm -hmm. in his stance for uh, his resistance to the vaccine mandate, which I just thought was really, really cool. And maybe this frames, maybe this is a good segue because I I posted something today that goes along with something that might be like, get people a little bit riled up. uh, And I I posted Floyd's uh, video, Mm -hmm. which he just basically says, you know, uh, this country's supposed to be about choice. This country's supposed to be about the freedom to be, uh, you know, the, to choose and to be who you who you want to be, and Kyrie's using that choice, and so he's supporting Kyrie for not wanting to get the vaccine, um, and the NBA choosing to, you know, uh, sideline him until he gets the vaccine, um, and so at, I posted his video, and then at the end of the video on my stories, I wrote, "Let's see how many people on the left actually uh, stand up for Black voices that are speaking truth to power now," um, and so I'm just thinking to myself. Um, in my mind that frames culture in such a way that shows where I, where I think we're missing a lot of things because we, there's a lot of talking points out there but I don't think there's a lot of like really digging into reality and what's really going, going on like trying to dig underneath that stuff right so no, hopefully that's what I'm doing. And I think, I mean, that's what you guys are doing at, the, at our church. Yeah.
0: No, there's a controlled narrative out there. And it, it has many different facets. But even like Nicki Minaj came out and said, I, she yep. just felt nervous because she heard stories about her some family members in Trinidad that had some adverse side effects from the vaccine. So she was going to just give it pause to give more research. And then Joy Reid came out and just blasted it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Ice Cube, has he, he turned down a movie role. I think he tried, walked he away did, from yeah. 6 to 9 or 9 million dollars yeah. because he's not ready to get it.
1: I mean if Alec was on the movie I understand why he walked away but um uh, nonetheless yeah so I'm just I'm thinking um wow it, it's such an important time for us as Christians to kind of Enter into the public sphere to have these conversations and to not be too quick to duck behind platitudes, mm-hmm. which I think, dude, we are so good at slog- sloganeering in the church. And I think it can be a real problem if we're not careful because it will keep us from deeply thinking about things that really, truly matter. And the church has always been on the cusp, historically speaking, has always been on the cusp of uh, combining, uh, faith with reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can go back as far as to the beginning of uh, the ministry of Jesus, uh, all the way into almost the present. Uh, but thank God we still got really great men out there, including our pastor who are kind of trying to grapple with those two realities, yeah. faith and reason. Um, so let's talk about you though. Sure. So, uh, in our church you have been leading a civics department which we'll talk a, a, in a little bit uh you've been leading a civics department so you guys talk about like the last latest thing i think if i'm not mistaken is you did 2021 exposed where you're talking about some of the narratives in 2021. Yep. Yep. you uh you you talked about kind of what's going on in the education system you talked about intersectionality you talk about wokeism you guys talk about a lot of very current event kind of stuff within the context of church which i just absolutely love. Um, from an intellectual perspective, from a faith perspective, and from just an awareness perspective, I think the church should be having these conversations. So how did it become important to you? So we got Frank's story. Um, how did it become important to you to kind of like uh, have these conversations? The last thing I'll say about it is I think everybody's got these these kind of 2020 stories. Um, many, many, many of the friends that I have in ministry have like something that took place in their heart and in their mind that God's been doing. Um, and there was just like this wind that shook the trees in 2020 that mm-hmm. awakened a lot of people up to some things. I know that's my story. So what, what about your story? Yeah, so there's a long story and a short story. I'll go with the short, and then okay. if you want to ask some
0: more questions. I may dig in a little bit yeah, while yeah. you're going. Yeah, so I, got, I came to Faith in Christ in 2003, okay. um, grew up in the church, uh, came from a great family, but just never believed myself and ended up getting into just a lot of nonsense That. Caused a lot of problems and pain, so I got had a radical salvation moment, kind of like a Paul on the road to Damascus. And, was and just, how old were you in 2003? Uh, I was nineteen. Okay, nineteen. Yeah. So I was just like everything was new. It was yeah. kind of like I could wow, I see clouds for the first time. Mm. Like everything was new. I got saved at nineteen too. Yeah. So just radical transformation, and I was, I mean, completely living in the world, completely living whatever, whatever I wanted to, do. kind of hedonism, really. Mm-hmm. So I get saved, and uh, I just start reading my Bible, really, for the first time, and the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So I'm going through the book of Acts, and the message – there's two things that impressed me. One was how the disciples, now apostles, everything was about Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. these guys were radical. And there, there's no knock to how I grew up or no knock to the churches I was involved with because, again, I was, I was blind, so I really probably couldn't see anyways. But I never saw anybody that was really living, like, that type of radical faith. Mm-hmm. So that was, like, a really – thing that stuck out to me the second thing was i felt like the holy spirit just kind of put on my heart like like i want you to be trained and i was impressed how the disciples had been trained with jesus for three years so i was like what does that mean because my whole family are uh, commercial construction developers no one's ever been in ministry in my family um i wouldn't even know what that looked like in fact i probably had like a an ill feeling to even think about what that would look like okay so I was like, oh, what does that mean? So I started researching Bible colleges, seminaries, so just kind of going through that process. And through kind of some divine circumstances, found out about this school that was in Montana at the time. And it, it wasn't an accredited school or like an official seminary Bible college, but it was a like a, a missions disciple training center. The pastor that was over it, his name was Chet, and he had really just come out of uh, the west coast of Africa, Liberia. And he was there in the late 80s into the 90s during their civil war. Hmm. So he was there to, to plant churches uh, when the war broke out. Like when most events, crazy events happen in the world, most foreigners, are, you know, Westerners leave. Yeah. He sta- typically come here. Right, right, right. They leave, they, everyone leaves the country because the country's falling apart. So mm-hmm. he prays, and him and his family stay, and they change their ministry from church planning to actually going behind enemy lines and rescuing child soldiers. So this guy is well, one of those guys that has stories that would just blow your mind. That's I mean, cool. blow yeah. your mind. miracle after miracle after miracle. But some of the stories, is kind of like hell just unzipped on the earth for a little bit. And you're, you're talking about, uh, I mean, he would go behind enemy lines and talk to 15-year-old soldiers and ask, can I get the five and six-year-olds? Can mm. we get them off the battlefield? And the 15-year-olds are like, these are our best killers. Yeah. So he set up a whole extensive foster care network through the churches in Liberia, rescued these little kids. He adopted three of them himself. So anyways, he he serves for about a decade. God calls him off the field. He comes back to the States. And the burden he has now that he's been exposed to how crazy the world is, is where is the next generation of Christians going to come from that are going to be willing to go anywhere and do anything for their faith? So he creates this school That was like 20 hours a week in the classroom of going through like Old Testament survey, New Testament survey. So you had that like seminary type experience. But his mission was, I want to expose you to as many things I can in culture. So we went to India. We went to Africa. We went to, I mean, all over the world checking things out. So the thing that really, as far as your original question of like, how did I get into this or what influenced me? I would say going going back to India and walking through the streets of India. That's the first time in my life that I really experienced like uh, intense poverty. And where'd you go? So I was in um, so this little town called Nazareth, which is on, like, a southern coast. So we spent a lot of our time there. We were visiting orphanages. We were visiting uh, leper colonies. But you would walk wow. through the streets. You would see open sewage flowing. And this isn't all of India, but a lot of India. Uh, and I would see people laying on the street that were, like, grotesquely deformed, basically just, rot, like, waiting to die rotting. Yeah. And in it, from coming from the West, you're like, well, how does how does this happen, right? How do, like, well, where's the services? Where's the right. government? Where's the church? Why aren't people helping? And I had a, somebody came to me was like, well, it's it's part of the culture. And again, I don't want to, you know, say this is all yeah. of Indian culture, but because of Hinduism and the caste system, basically, if someone is living that type of life, suffering from some type of disease, the, the thought is. Well, in your previous life, there's
1: justification for it. Yeah,
0: you. you must have done something horrible. Boy, that's an indication of the power of culture, too, the right? The power of ideas. Power
1: of ideas, yeah. So there's
0: not compassion in culture because this is judgment, right? So that was the first time I was like, man, ideas really matter. Mm-hmm. They really matter. And then you kind of, your worldview is challenged and you get to see all these things. So I come back. Um, I actually, <laughs> after I left the school, I started to. Uh, to intern there. Then I worked there. Then I moved to the Bahamas and lived in there in Brazil for about four years with my wife. It was just experiencing culture, seeing yeah. ideas, seeing how things work, how government works, how government doesn't work. So I think just, just that, that like, kind of those experiences really impressed upon me. Like, man, the church and the message of the church and mm-hmm. the ministry of the church matters significantly. Yeah. And who's, in, who's involved in government, it matters. You know, so I think it's just all of these cultural ideas, these civic ideas, everything is kind of, that's where it all started from.
1: There's this saying, I don't know if I'm going to quote it correctly, but essentially that gratitude is the parent of all virtues. Uh, and the idea is that uh, from, from gratitude, everything else flows. And one of the experiences that I had traveling the world, um, it sounds like a very similar story, by the way. So I've spent a lot of time in Latin America, I spent some time in Africa. Um, and just doing missions at a very early stage in my Christianity, it totally changed my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but when I see the way sometimes ideas are being hashed out, culturally speaking, especially just not to be paint too broadly, but especially on the, the leftist perspective where we have like this idea about how awful America is. <laughs> and I'm just like, have, have you guys ever left America? And it's not that we can't improve. uh, It's just that you guys have a very, very myopic and very bubble-ish kind of idea of what the rest of the world looks like. And so the point is is that you you can easily take for granted the freedoms, the uh, benefits that we have, and the things that America has ac- actually accomplished if you've never seen the rest of the world. So Absolutely. I can't help but wonder if that doesn't just totally change your, your perspective on things, because I see sometimes things that are going on culturally in our society and stuff, and I'm just thinking, like, how can you actually mm-hmm. think about it? Well, the only way that you can is because you're ignorant. And this it's not like a slap in the face, right. but it's just like you're ignorant of what's...
0: Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for even like like coming into faith and reading through the Bible and all those verses that kind of warn the rich... Mm-hmm. I was like, man, they got to be careful, Yeah. you know? And then you travel the world, you're like, oh, that's me. Yeah. Just coming from America, that I am that person. Yeah. So that's, it changes everything when you travel.
1: Yeah. And There's that. There's this verse of Scripture uh, that says, give me neither poverty nor riches because I don't want to be poor and steal and profane your name, but I also don't want to be rich and forget about you. Mm-hmm. And, boy, if that's not like a really kind of – encapsulated view of where we're at in America. We've moved further and further and further away from God, and now we're developing a, an, an ungratefulness for what is, by any objective standard, uh, th- the greatest experiment that has ever gone on as far as government is concerned, um, and that has brought about the greatest amount of freedom mm-hmm. that any nation has ever seen. Um, and then we and and you don't hear this. I, I think I heard Douglas Murray say this originally. Like you don't hear people like undermining the patriarchy in Turkey or in Afghanistan. It's like only in the West are we having these conversations about how evil we are, um, instead of appreciating. Uh, and these are places with obviously objective evil things going on. Absolutely. It's just it's so very interesting to me. So I th- I think that hopefully underscores the importance of of why these. In- conversations are important, but let's have that conversation for a moment. So um, I- I'll share with you why I think it is important for Christians to discuss political things, all right? So I'll be careful and saying not to be political, but to have political conversations or to weigh in on politics. Uh, so I've thought a lot, a lot, a lot about this, and I've come to Dislike to be totally honest with you more and more and more the stance, and I'll tell you why in a minute the stance of just preach the gospel, stay away from politics. Um, and and it, it, so, anymore, when I hear that now, I almost am automatically, just to be honest with you, I automatically almost assume cowardice. Mm-hmm. And and here's the, the reality though is that most people would never say, Oh, I'm a coward, that's why I'm saying this. Most people have to justify in their head all sorts of things. We do it, you do it, I do it. We justify our actions with a whole bunch of talking points and we convince ourselves of something that doesn't exist. But the reality is, is very often the reason we don't talk about these things is, is probably cowardice. But So why do you think, especially with us as a church and you guys wading into the things that you wade into, why do you think Christians should have political conversation? Why should we be talking about civics and culture? yeah it's a
0: great question. and again, I, I think there's a lot of reasons that go into why people shy away from it. Yeah. Um, I have the conviction that we have to talk about it because I see it in Scripture mm-hmm. um, And if you look up, go back to, to Israel, right and you go back to the, the, the days that Jesus was in Israel, like who was in charge? Yeah, right And most everyone said, well Rome was in charge, you know and you never hear Jesus calling out Rome, you never hear Jesus you know, yeah. you know saying anything about Caesar, nothing. But that's not really true. Like, they were the empire that had governance over Jerusalem, Judea, over Israel. Yeah. Right. But who was in charge was really the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Hmm. Those were the religious leaders. They were the, the Sadducees were the political leaders, right? So you, you have Jesus calling those guys out all the time. Yeah. And really, he was calling them out because they were they were peddling lies in culture that looked like half-truths because they, they had an origin based out of the Mosaic law. So people were manipulated on a mass scale, and Jesus
1: comes in and speaks truth to them to really bring people into freedom. See, I I want to say something about that real quick, because in the circles that I've run in, and probably you too, the circles that I've run in, most people automatically assume the Sadducees and the Pharisees are the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And I don't think that that's necessarily true. It may be true in some ways, but I don't think it's necessarily true. Essentially, what Jesus so very often talks to them about is the hypocrisy of yes, not living your life in accordance with the way that your speech uh, portrays, but also to, he speaks about it in such a way to to kind of say, uh, you guys, I mean, I think, I guess you said it, you guys are just straight up lying to people, right. and you're leading people astray. And so the issue is not like religiosity versus authentic Christianity, although there's that in Scripture, but it's more of we have an ad- adherence and a desire and... Um, a passion for the truth that motivates our actions and motivates everything we do. Right. Yeah. I mean, back to, back to your thought. Like, I don't
0: see them as the church at all. Yeah. At all. I mean, they had the power of the court. They had uh, palace guards. I mean, they, they had influence. The only thing they couldn't do was capital punishment. That's mm-hmm. why they had to get
1: Jesus to Pilate. I mean, Pilate, yeah, and Pilate was afraid of Jesus. So it's obviously these guys have power.
0: Right. And it was, so not only did, were they the political voice on the scene, they were the cultural voice on the scene because mm-hmm. Pilate was terrified of them, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I see it as both. And you see Jesus speak to them. And then I look at examples in, in Paul's life, and Paul's ministry, he goes to Galatia. Yeah, He preaches the gospel. He plants a church. He leaves. Judaizers come in. And what do the Judaizers do? Is they take... A little bit of the gospel, they take Jesus, but they say, hey, in order to really get saved, you have to first become Jewish, you have to follow the law, and then you can have salvation. Mm. So then Paul writes a letter back in the letter of Galatia. He's, I mean, it's a harsh rebuke, but who's bewitched you? He fools. Yeah, He's like, you've, you've embraced an ideology that's going to actually push you away from the gospel. And that's where my burden and concern is, is that there's so many ideologies and culture that if the church embraces them, that it's going to actually push us from... The gospel And the best the best example we have of this of recent times is the emergent church. Mm-hmm. You Look at Brian McLaren, Rob Bell, uh, Doug Padgett, all these guys, or Doug Padgett, I think. Padgett, yeah. Yeah, all these guys that came into the church with this new way to do things, yep. right? And it was scandalous. And I remember Rob Bell wrote the book Velvet Elvis, and he asked questions without answers. I remember one of the things in his book was, if the word virgin in Scripture actually doesn't mean that Mary never had sex ever but that the first time she had sex she conceived if that's what that original word virgin means would that change your faith and then he just walks away from that yeah so he drops these little bombs you're like well what does it mean yeah so you're like so and a lot of people came against it but all of these guys are basically walked away from the faith yeah you know what i mean so you see that these ideas creep in and if we if the church doesn't grapple with them i think my concern is that the pastors aren't doing their
1: job yeah that's kind of a maybe a harsh statement
0: that's how I feel about it.
1: Yeah. Well, I know you just got done reading this book, so I want to bring this up too, because again, this is not to. Name names. This is to try to discuss and to illustrate the power of ideas so that we can understand it's important for us to talk about these things. Right. So um, I'm assuming you read Fault Lines uh, by Vody. Yeah. And so Vodi is really, I think, really lovingly and tenderly talks about David Platt. Very um, gracious. Yeah. And 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 talks about how David started reading critical race theory books and started listening to these people from this ideological perspective and how it. Eventually started to impact the way in which he preached so that now he's finding himself, and I'm going to paraphrase here because I won't get the exact quote, but finds himself saying, like, the real problem in in the Western church is whiteness, you know, and and saying these, like, totally ridiculous statements that you would not assume would come from a guy like David Platt who has— been uh biblically trained and was a you know a pinnacle of biblical like fidelity for so many people including myself you know if you if you're going to hear a david Platt sermon you're going to hear the Word of God exegeted right. effectively and all that stuff and now you're hearing all of this woke nonsense coming out of his mouth and it it just it does illustrate the power of ideas and i think I one hundred percent agree with you I want to discuss politics because I believe that politics at its best. So let's be idealistic for a moment. So
0: define politics. Yeah. So
1: so, go ahead.
0: Well, you define
1: it. Okay. So if I were to define politics, I would, I I would, from a Christian perspective, so I'll give you the Christian, the secular perspective, I would, I would define it as love for other, um, Mm -hmm. because I believe politics is how we interact with each other. Um, essentially when it's at its best now, um, politics, I guess, from just a secular perspective, is the governance of a country, mm-hmm. how, the way in which a country is governed. Um, all right. So, you know. No. Yeah. It's it's
0: codified ideas. Yeah. Right. You look at the Declaration of Independence, you look at the Constitution. It's these ideas that these guys were grappling with from John Locke, right, early on. Like, they were uh, Montesquieu, all these ideas that came into culture, and they said, hey, we, I mean, these guys were geniuses that studied civilization. hmm And they took a little bit from Rome, they took a little bit from Greece, but they changed it up to have these checks and balances. But it's ideas that got a document that these guys are really going to put their life on the line for and say, this is what's going to govern us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, politics is ideas, and it's governance over people or for people. So that's, I mean, that's what we're talking about with politics. So yeah. if, if when, it, when you define it as ideas yes. that have a great impact in how we live, 100%. then I, why would the church not speak to that?
1: Absolutely. If you're, and, and we believe this, but we, again, we are so sloganeering in the church sometimes. Uh, you know, we, we, You know what pop signs are? Pop? pop- yeah, pop signs are those things that uh, that you see like some churches that they hold oh yeah, that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah yeah like we're better together yes, and yes, you yes. can sit with me this Sunday yeah. <laughs> uh, and so th- that is like sloganeering Christianity at its best It right. should have like uh, uh, logos from the people who are sponsoring those uh, advertisements from the church but anyway um... well, we'll look back
0: in time you know the we all make fun of those uh, the churches that have the boxes. On the like on their yard or their lawn oh yeah it's like the message of the week yeah and we kind of laugh at those those more keys we'll yeah we'll look back in time and kind of laugh at that
1: <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> people will erase those and then put their own things on them anyway right. um so so we so very often um can hide behind those those slogans and and not really dig into into ideas and so the reality is is but but you don't want to go to a church that um, that doesn't dig into those ideas, right? If you're in a church in the 1860s and your pastor is not talking about the evils of slavery...
0: Which a lot weren't.
1: Which a lot weren't. Right. And we could even talk about Nazi Germany and the confessing church, and, um, and at least they were trying, but then you get the German church that immediately got sucked up into the, the Nazi regime uh, just because they were pacifists, I guess, and cowards. Um, so the idea is uh, politics at its best. Not politicking, not a political candidate. I'll still stand beside the idea that I don't think the church should endorse a political candidate, not just because they're 501c3, but also because we don't want to truncate the two, but but we do want to talk about it because at the end of the day, it's about ideas. It's about our worldview. It's about the way in which we parse um, our worldview. And I would say, if any thinker is about anything, it, it is about trying to become an indie thinker, an independent thinker, but I don't know that any of us really are, but it's striving toward that goal of trying to say, hey, I wanna become as informed as possible. I don't want pe- my people doing thinking for me. I wanna figure out how I think and, and what healthy thinking looks like. So it's mm-hmm. all about epistemology. Right. And I think, I think politics at its best is epistemology, is a way of trying to take your ideas and then flesh them out into, into action.
0: Yeah, and I think the church at its best is is being willing to step into culture. So going back to yeah, the um, Civil War time and the evil of slavery and that great sin that plagued our nation, you had a lot of churches that didn't didn't say about it, didn't step into that argument, but you had a lot of churches that did. Mm-hmm. Lyman Beecher was a guy that stepped into it, and you had this abolitionist movement that was carried by a lot of the churches in the North. Yeah, and uh, his daughter, um, um, what's her name? Harriet Harry Beecher. Beecher Stowe yeah. wrote, like, she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah. Which when Abraham Lincoln said that. Which has probably been canceled now, but. But that, he's like, that, this is the book that started this war. Yeah. So that's all influenced from the church. Yeah. You know, and there's other factors that go into it, but I, I think when the church really takes the mantle on them to really step into culture, that we can bring about some real positive change.
1: Well, and Douglas Murray said this, and, I, and this has stuck with me. Um, I hate to keep on quoting him, but he said some really powerful things. Um, and, and I love him, too, because he's not a Christian. He's an atheist, and he's British, and uh, so he's looking at the 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 West, but also the American West, especially. Um, but but he said that there is no such thing as civil rights without Jesus. Mm. There is no civil rights. There is no Martin Luther King Jr. There is no um, William Wilberforce in in uh, Britain. There there is no civil rights without Jesus. And so it, it just it reminds us that, like, I think that there are people who are either ignorantly or very glad to say shut up when they say don't be political Mm -hmm. and what they want you to do is actually silence your voice and and i think the devils i know is all too glad to make sure that we sideline ourselves and not speak at a time where our voice can actually truly make a difference to help people not fall for attractive ideologies Uh, james Lindsay would say trojan horses that look pretty on the outside but are discussing on the inside
0: yeah you're quoting a lot of atheists right now <laughs> <laughs> well, but a- I, I've, I've actually the same thing i've been impressed by a lot of these guys writings and i was like man that's a sad commentary on the church mm. that i'm looking to atheists to get a, a better pulse on culture than from the pulpit
1: well i think that that goes back to this whole faith and reason thing i and it's not that we're like because i think some more progressive christian types would just say look at you quote an atheist well quote the scripture uh and and of course we do we want to quote the scripture scripture but but i but the idea is that we should be proponents of truth in all of its forms. Now, we happen to believe, we're solo scriptura guys, I'd assume, and we happen to believe that truth is just going to affirm what scripture says because scripture is truth. Correct. Um, and so so that's how we can come along and say, hey, these guys are educated and if they what they are saying is true and it backs up what scripture says, well then we are it is incumbent upon us to endorse that kind of messaging and to and to recognize it. And it is, it's sad that so much of it is not coming from uh, from the church these days and and I wonder if that's not only because we've I'm writing a book now and in the second chapter I talk about exchanging doctrine for demagoguery mm-hmm. so in other words we've we've allowed popularity to become more important than um, than our polity and and what we believe as a, as a church um, but I but I almost wonder too how much um, we have become like the culture instead of creating culture and, and speaking about culture. Um, we've just adopted culture, right. Instead right. of actually kind of standing back and discussing it. Right. So, um, the other thing is this, I want to run this by you and you just, you share that you tell me what you think. Um, I'm having a lot of conversations re- recently about this kind of stuff with people and I'm amazed at the, the lack of real thoughtfulness that is placed into what sometimes people believe. Now that sounds like an elitist statement and I don't mean it to come off like that, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm floored that people are falling for very obviously deceptive ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, And I almost wonder if we as a church, as Christians have to discuss political things because one of the greatest idols in our generation is politics. Um, And, and by that, I mean this, that, people can, now let's just say this is Trump or Biden, right? People can look at a candidate and listen to what they say without thinking about it and without really digging into it whatsoever. And and what do you call that except kind of a blind worship of something? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there is not Um, a a need for Christians to speak truth into the political sphere for that very purpose, that people are falling for deception and it's coming in the form. um, And I would say of one political party more so than the other, quite frankly, um, it's coming. Deception is coming in the form of uh, people and ideas um, from political parties. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I would agree with you. It it seems to
0: come from... One party more than the other, but both parties are susceptible to, right? That politic talk and deception and lies and yeah. But it's um, yeah, I agree with you on that.
1: So, um, so I don't know. So I almost wonder if like the prophets of today would say, "Hey, we're going to talk about politics because." Uh, like on one side, we care about the pro-life issue and we believe in protecting babies who are dying in the millions every single year uh, because of abortion. But on the other side, so we're going to talk about policy, but on the other side, we're also going to talk about this because you people are falling for deceptions that need to you need to become aware of. And I guess that's the other thing for me. So the biblical thing for me, and you did a great job with this, um, a little bit more in depth than me even, but I just think it's very clear when we see people like Daniel in the Bible, and we see even people like, I was reading Haggai the other day, and he's speaking to obviously Jews, but he's speaking to his culture, and he's speaking to the high priest, which would be the religious class, but then he's also speaking to the governor of the city. And he's not just saying hey, there's going to be a Messiah one day. He's saying, hey, you guys need to get back to building the church, and you need to get back to the things that are important in this society, Um, and you guys have forgotten that. And so he's speaking to the governor about that, but he's also speaking to the high priest about that. And so I think that 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 voice, and I would just say this, I guess— The glory of God is is as high as the heavens and above the heavens, as the Psalms tells us, which means God is so glorious, so beautiful, so majestic, so big that he needs to encompass every aspect of our life. And we far too easily compartmentalize our life and just say, well, God over here, we'll just keep Jesus and the gospel in this place, but not realize that the gospel is so much bigger than our myopic minds can comprehend and that the gospel spreads throughout the whole earth and covers everything that we do as a people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and you look at um look at Elijah. Elijah spoke rebuked the king, rebuked his his wife, the queen, Jezebel, who mm-hmm. was kind of like the priestess over all the priests, mm-hmm. right? So then he spoke to the religious system. So you kinda have a trend through scripture to to give us enough of Kind of a format or blueprint to speak to politics and culture. Yeah, I want to say. Go ahead. I think there. Well, there's more idea. There's more like evidence
1: on that side than I think on the other side to say we should never. Yeah. You know. Well, and I know I'm the host, so you can feel free to disagree with me here. But um, but I just want to say this one last thing is, and see what you think about it is, um, I say don't just preach the gospel for two reasons one because we're supposed to disciple people as well like you're supposed to preach the gospel but you're also supposed to disciple people in the gospel right um and and i think most christians really agree with this like your pastor every sunday doesn't tell you about the death burial, and resurrection of jesus every single sunday like maybe he inserts it in ways but there's different forms that the message of jesus and the bible takes on every single sunday basis because there's a dynamicness to the message of of christ so so there's that but then there's this other thing too. I almost wonder if just preach the gospel, just preach Jesus was not a statement that we built, you know, our age group built within the context of a culture that was predominantly engineered by Christian thinking and we are now no longer and and, and culture is changing rapidly we have to admit. We are no longer living in a culture where that is true, where Christian ideas and Christian virtues no longer our mainstream. I think we're clearly living in a post-Christian age, and mm-hmm. I think that that idea was birthed within a po- a, a pre or, or a Christian era. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think I, I think. So you look back at like your your James your James Dobson, um, your Doctor Doctor James Kennedy, your Chuck Colson's. Like there was a there's a generation Falwell before mm-hmm. us that felt a lot of freedom to talk about politics and culture. And I don't know if some of the shrapnel that happened around some of those guys and not all of them cuz a lot of them are, are absolutely yeah. solid all the way to this day. Um, but you know the next generation says I don't know that we want to be looked at as that yeah. political cuz they those guys took abuse culturally. Yeah. They called so many things and you know Christians get the stereotype that we're judgmental and it's like how do we rebrand Christianity yeah. as like we're nice. We're nice guys. Yeah. And we love you and yeah. we like every yeah. you know what I mean? And so it could be that. It could be the 501c3 thing where it's like, well, we're not allowed to. Yeah. Um, I think that's a convenient excuse. Yeah. Or it could just be uh, a love of money. Mm -hmm. If we have some churches that, you know, have a lot of wealth and we're concerned that that might be touched if we preach a message that our biggest donors would would say, well, I'm taking my money and my family with me. Or I think it may be fear, you know?
1: yeah i think it has to i personally think it has to do with the seeker sensitive movement which really does inundate the kind of the christian climate today in terms of what churches are right um and i think the reason for that is that we were told a long time ago that gospel preaching is tantamount to um to butts and seats right um and like the one thing that you that you can't do once you've built a church on that secret sensitive movement is then undermine that by saying anything that might cause anybody to misunderstand or cause anybody to kind of uh, be offended or anything like that and and so ultimately what that does, and this is just my thoughts here, and I've processed this a lot, ultimately what that does is it leaves us with a practical Christianity where we talk about your finances, we talk about how to have good marriages, we talk about how to be encouraged, we talk about what to do with your stress, but we never really talk about how Jesus turned over tables, how Jesus would, (laughs) like our pastor said in this past message, how he would he would rightly identify demonic ideas and in, in the people that espouse them. Um, and so it 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 obviously doesn't fully take into the whole picture of who Jesus is. Right. And
0: I guess, t- too, like how would, how would you define the gospel?
1: Yeah. So we uh, you, like your statement,
0: just preach the gospel, just preach the gospel, don't do anything else but preach the gospel. What does that, I mean, gospel is good news, right? But what does that mean? Does that mean just preach the message of how people can get to heaven? Mm-hmm. I think that's what kind of that's what we're mostly saying. Mostly, what most people. The think, only yeah. thing, the only job you have is to tell people how to get to heaven. That's mm-hmm. it. Nothing else. So it's like I agree with that 100. percent Like that is why we're here. Like it's the highest call, yeah. right? But like you said earlier, it's like, does that mean I, I can't talk about marriage, or can I not talk about finances, or can I not talk about uh, gay marriage? Can I not talk about creation? I mean, there, I mean, it's, the gospel is kind of everything, yeah. right? Because we're talking about the Bible. Preach the if you're if you're saying just just preach the gospel does that mean just preach the bible because if it's just preach the bible then i have an open door to talk about everything Mm -hmm. everything because the bible talks about everything that's right so i think it's hey just preach the gospel i said well why don't you just preach the bible yeah and if you just preach the Bible, you're going to deal
1: with everything in culture. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so with that being said, uh, we are. Because I think there's more to say about that, and there's my mind's going a million places, but we'll end up like there forever. Yeah. But I want to talk about what we're doing as a church. So um, in 2020, we started Civics? Yeah, so I moved up to uh, Chattanooga in 2017 with a guy I used to work
0: with, and for uh, Pastor Billy Venezia, we were in, uh, on staff at Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale together. Um, we were serving in a capacity down there in missions and outreach and with our next generation kind of young discipleship ministry and some church planning things. Um, uh, the, the church up here, Calvary Chapel Chattanooga, um, had kind of a hole in it at the time where uh, one of the founding pastors, Eric Dine, went to Detroit to kind of do some work with Muslims. And then the other missions pastor that was behind him went with him. And then their college and career uh, pastor went to plant a church in Cleveland. So kind of like everything that we were doing in Fort Lauderdale was kind of the need up here. Uh, Pastor Frank was gracious enough to say, hey, you know, I I have a need. Why don't you guys pray about it? We prayed about it and both felt like this is God's call next step. So we moved up. We worked in missions and outreach. And then uh, in 2020... Uh, God did a move in Detroit where they were serving that team that left, was serving there for five years. They came back. And now at that time we had two other staff, uh, members working with us, uh, this woman that works with me in civics today, Ann Roth, uh, and then this other guy, Jesse Gassner. So we had this massive team now that was kind of concentrated in missions and outreach. So pastor Frank and some of our leadership team stepped in and said, Hey, let's, let's move some things around and see like what else God is calling us to. So I got divided up from there. Um, with Ann Roth, soon to be Ann Lowry, shout out to Mark Lowry, <laughs> but uh, into um, outreach and adult education. Okay. So our, our, t- our team of two was working on that. Uh, Billy was going to take Icon and kind of next gen, Jesse went to youth. So everyone's kind of spread out. So with adult ed, uh, in the light of 2020, everything that was going on, Pastor Frank came to us and said, hey, the first topic I want you to cover for adult education, we were thinking like marriage classes, parenting classes, he's like, is a civics training? He's like, I really don't think that the people of our church and beyond our church really have a grasp of American history from the perspective of how much the church impacted it. Hmm. How much the church was a part of defining it from all of the different eras. Yeah. So we kind of just jumped into that. And then we did a um, a four-week course back-to-back called We the Thinking People. Uh, it ended up being eight sessions in, in total. And after that, he said, hey, that's all I want you to do. It's <laughs> Like, that's it. So adult ed, we're gonna give to these guys. Outreach, we're gonna give to these guys. We're creating a civics and culture ministry. So the civics and culture ministry, uh, kind of the three things we look at is we want to um, educate, equip, and empower. Okay. So every month we have this class or session or conference, however you want to call it, where we're, we're taking this idea that's in culture, that's permeating everything, and is impacting the church, it's impacting our schools, and really it's like, what is it, what is it, what's the idea, what's the ideology, what's it about, where did it come from? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? And then we as the church, we as Christians, what's our responsibility to do with it? Is there an action item that follows that? So uh, that's kind of that's kind of the course that we're on. Okay. So
1: yeah. I, I, I want to dig in a little bit further there, but I do want to ask one thing about what you just said, action items. So what do those action items typically look like? Because yeah. the one thing that I, I struggle with is I listen to a lot of thinkers that are talking about what's going on, but it's almost always descriptive mm-hmm. and not... Uh, <clears throat> And not prescriptive. So kind of what's what do the prescriptions look like from the church perspective?
0: Yeah, well, it, it's different, right? So everybody's got a different calling. Everyone's got a different set of gifts, uh, natural talents, and then Holy Spirit-given uh, spiritual gifts. And it, I, I think it's uh, it, we're trying to help shape and equip people to foster those ideas. So you might have somebody say, well, I, I'm a teacher, and here's the space I work in, here's the school I'm called to, but I have never really like grappled with how to bring some of these ideas into the classroom. Mm-hmm. I've kind of just kind of taught the curriculum. So is there a way that that action item is I'm actually going to start to talk about this or bring it up in a way? Uh, you look at a guy that's a coach and he's like, Hey, I have influence over you know hundreds of kids. So how do I actually take some of the these ideas and bring it to parents and 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 athletes? Um, we have people that are like, Hey, I think I'm going to run for school board, or Hey, I think I'm actually going to go you know start becoming an educator yeah. like if, if the burden is like all of our kids are growing up in this public school systems and they're just learning really deceit i mean it's not even like the other side of the conversation yeah. it's just straight propaganda like that's a mission field i'm getting into so we're, we're trying not to say like here is the action item but we're also we're also saying like hey here's who is like over your district here's your school board district. Okay. Like, here's what's going on. Like, show up to school board meetings. Like, just yeah. be very active because we have to, we got to fight back.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I totally 100% agree with that. Uh, and I think that's good too, because the reality is, is that like, um, I'll have to call up my wife here and say, she always says, "Read that's good, but what do we do about it? Right. And I've thought a lot about that. And I think we could stand to be a little bit more prescriptive, but I like that balance that you're talking about because I think the reality is, is that, that is something that has to be birthed and maybe even fought through in prayer that that's that's not something i can tell you that's something god has to tell you and we have to do the heavy lifting of trying to figure that out uh, it's case by
0: case because i I would say well if someone said what do i do i said well what do you do yeah like where do you work like what's your what's your family life like who are your friends where are you at in our city yeah and can you leverage where you're already at in a way that actually like starts to push back on some of these ideas? Because mm-hmm. you hear it. I mean, people have ideas all the time. I had a conversation with my neighbor the other day, and he was quick to jump into something. It was very opinionated, and it's like, all right, is this? Do I have the time? or Is this my opportunity to kind of push back on some of these ideas? Yeah. So it's kind of everywhere, and it's. But I think. As you pray about it, you actually might get a calling out of it and so actually I need to do something completely different. Yeah. And we're talking to people that are starting to, to kind of have that idea.
1: So, dude, if nothing else came, and I know there's so much more, if nothing else came from a civics and culture class in Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga, other than people start getting actively serious about praying about their calling, right? like I'm thinking to myself, dude, that's um, we are so inundated with the positive mental attitude message in the church today that we've almost forgotten about these. Very biblical concepts. Repentance is certainly one of them. Sanctification and regeneration is certainly one of them. But but also too that I'm really passionate about the the idea of of calling in scripture. Um, I you know I could be wrong about this, but I think you ask most Christians what what the fivefold ministry calling is, and mm-hmm. they would tell you they have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you would say, well, are you are familiar with the the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And they would say, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to church? Is that one of them? <laughs> uh, and so um, and so, all I'm trying to say is that I think, boy, I think that's noble to try to help people think about um, what their faith looks like in action, because we can, can never kind of do enough of that. Um, so let's talk about like the things that you actually choose to talk about. So okay. like, where does that come from? Is that hot button stuff, things that are just typically kind of like in the news or what really kind of gets the fire going with what you guys should discuss.
0: Yeah, so um, so our team meets, um, and we just create a list of ideas and potential topics. We begin to pray about them, and then we ultimately have a meeting with Pastor Frank, our senior pastor, and just say, hey, is there a burden on your heart? Here's some of the things that we'd like to talk about, and then we kind of all come together and say, I think it needs to be this. So, yeah, there, I think there's the temptation to say, well, what, what is the thing that would be the most, like, hot topic, you know? Yeah. But um, we try to keep it with, like, what are the things we're facing? And I have a I have a son in the public school system, so sometimes he's a help because it's like, what are you, what are, like, let me look through your textbooks. What are you learning? And yeah. It's like, oh, okay, well, sixth grade English textbook at a Hamilton County public school is going to be where you first learn about transgenderism. Mm-hmm. And it's so
1: subtle. Wait, it's in a history textbook? It's in an English textbook. Oh, in
0: English. I'm sorry. English textbook. Okay. And it's very subtle. It doesn't say transgender. It just says, it's the story about this girl that grew up in California who always wanted to be a tomboy. And she, it was a poem that she wrote, but there's a, there's it's a little. It's Cali. It always is. Isn't it? <laughs> but there's a seed and it says like the one thing that she fought and she didn't want to become when she grew up was a woman. Mm. And so, huh, that's interesting. Right. And the poem goes on. It's kind of abstract. But then the the question time is like, hey, what's the one thing that she didn't want to become? And then the answer is a woman. Yeah. And they go to the next question. So then you go through the rest of the curriculum as it goes through seventh, eighth grade high school. Is that They begin to build and kind of water that seed. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, all right, let's talk. We need to talk about that. The The thing that they get hit with the most, our kids in, in public school, is, is climate change. Mm-hmm. So what's the Bible have to say about climate change? Yeah. So that was a big one that we did. Don't,
1: we don't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, Joe Biden's in Glasgow. So um, I think. I, he, was I'm sleep- he was sleeping, though. <laughs> <laughs> did you see that? No. Was he really? Well, I, I, mean, I heard. He that. had his
0: arms folded and his eyes closed for a long time. Ah, but it, maybe. He was He's meditating. Maybe. Oh,
1: the word of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, I heard about the crappy situation that he dealt with, but I did not hear. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I didn't hear. Oh, okay. No, what is it? I almost hate to even say, say it. But, so he was meeting with the Pope, and all of these stories came out about him. Um, uh, Pooping in his pants while he was there. No way, (laughs) dude. I have no idea if any of it's true. Oh my gosh! But a a reporter came out and said the reason that it took longer than it was supposed to is because there was an accident, but they didn't like express what that accident was. that would be devastating. Um, Like seriously
0: though, if that was all kidding aside, if that was serious, where our commander in chief is at that place in his in his elder years, where he's starting to slip, which it seems like he is. Yeah just the fact that his party would continue to parade him around like that. That's just, that's, that's tough.
1: Yeah. And it may be true. You know, there's i I don't think there's ever going to be any really way to any real way to confirm whether or not it's true, but um, that, that was certainly one of the reports that came out. Um, But nonetheless, I I say that in jest, but I I think that's all really interesting. So uh, let me ask you this, because there may be other parents out there who are kind of battling the same thing. And I have a personal question about this because I have a, a thought here that a lot of people disagree with me on, so that means i got to double down. Um, uh, I'm just joking. But what, what has been your response to that in terms of keeping your kids in public school?
0: Yeah, so I've always come from... So I grew up in Christian private schools my whole life. Okay. And you kind of make decisions, you know, obviously based off the word, based off wise counsel, but a lot of it's based off your experience. Yep. So my experience in Christian private education was uh at least in my experience was religion or christianity became like another subject so math Mm -hmm. science literature religion yeah you go to the chapels mandatory chapels you sit and listen so for me it just became this message that i heard over and over and over and over again and it did it lose its power i mean no because the word never loses its power but it just became something where everyone's christian everyone's attending classes and for me Uh, rebellion looked like uh, sleeping around in drugs, right? It's like the the party scene. Um, My kind of walking away from that, I said, well, I kind of feel like it's in every young heart to rebel. Um, So for a Christian to be in the public school system, what would rebellion look like? Well, rebellion would look like following Jesus. So I've seen in my oldest, um, I mean, he's been in public school most of his life, just this like... The sandpaper that comes from ideas outside of Scripture, and his opportunity to kind of push back in a respectful Mm -hmm. way, but to raise his hand and say, "Hey, that's interesting. Hey, teacher, I'm gonna can I challenge that idea?" Like he was introduced to evolution in third grade, and we we knew that that was the time and curriculum that was coming, so he was prepared and ready to go, and he had was able to have a a very like low level debate, right? But he's talking to other kids, you know, kids are like, so I loved that. Because it's like you are you're standing for your faith at a young age. You're you're being regirded in these ideas.
1: Yeah, he's learning a valuable lesson. for But sure. now
0: in sixth grade, I'm like, because that's always been my, my my stance. Some of the some of the the propaganda is just so heavy, mm-hmm. and it's on a daily basis that it kind of just feels like a waste of time. Yeah, like I'm 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 actually wasting your time asking you to go to the school. And then I, another thing, and this is another topic for another day, but. Um, pornography has seemed to really just corrupted so much of our youth Mm -hmm. that um, I think even talking about sex or joking about sex or, you know, who's sleeping with who kind of was like what I grew up with in school. But now the depravity, the level of depravity and the conversations that are happening at the lunch table are so obscene. I'm like, bro, I just, I don't get you out of school just because like, I don't, I don't want your mind even to expose with some of these, these ideas. Yeah, so it's a it is a balance for that we're praying through, and we're always praying through it. But that's okay. So it's, but, we're uh, we're in process.
1: I, I re I saw yesterday one of the guys that I listen to from time to time pull out the book in Loudon County that's been getting us so much uh, kind of uh, backlash, um, and it was just absolutely atrocious. Man, those people should be utterly ashamed of themselves. They are abusing children with the stuff that they're subjecting them yeah. to. Well, uh,
0: in fourth grade, my son had to write a paper, and I've talked about this before, but it was hey when um what do you think that the the young indian boy was feeling when the white man came into his village and massacred his family what do you think he was feeling and it's like wow, well, that is that's a complex conversation mm-hmm. right because there were some things that happened atrocities and stuff but there's there's a lot of data and information well, mean, that goes yeah, into that but to just to say that or the other thing is like hey thomas jefferson wrote the declaration declaration of independence great document right but he owned slaves yeah so how do we how do you grapple with that so you can see that in even in third grade there was this undermining of america and this like again it was just like this this unhooking of huh man i maybe america's not that great yeah you know so it's so it's all that stuff you grapple with but as a parent i feel like you have to be more engaged as a parent if your kids are in public school than if they're in a home school or a private 100%. school setting
1: yeah i i found myself doing that the other night too like the, his teacher said he's reading a book and i was just like cool and then i thought i went to a meeting about what's going on in the public school system here. And I was like, I don't need to take anything for granted. I need to kind of check out that book and see what it's doing. And nonetheless, I want to be a hands-on parent. Uh, but I, that that goes into kind of my belief. And I think you probably have the same idea I do about this. Um, I think, let me just preface what I'm about to say by saying, I think this is a case-by-case basis. I mm-hmm. think this is a child-by-child basis. Absolutely. You have to know your own kid um, because – you can easily let your kind of pseudo crusade moral stance get in the way of your child's development. You need to be cognizant of that. But I also think if you remove all of the righteous kids out of the public school system, then you might be doing a disservice in just delivering it over to those who are not fortunate enough to be able to homeschool or private school. Um, And then they're just totally subjected to this. So the public school system is probably not going anywhere. But we can actually, like, we should stand up personally as parents. But then we should also teach our kids how to fight. Now, we have to do this the right way. But it sounds like that's what you're doing with your kid. And I think the public school system is a place where that lesson can be learned. And so I think we should be, I mean, I'm almost hypocritical here because my kids are in public school. And they're both very young. But uh, but I almost wonder too if we are not teaching them the opposite lesson by pulling them out of public school, which is when we have a fight on our hands, we run away and we go hide. And I, I keep yeah. I wrestle with that, it's, so I don't I don't think it's as clear cut as get your kids out of there yesterday. Um, right, but that and
0: that's a strong message. Yeah, get them out, you know. Um, and I get it. I think it's it goes to an individual calling and the the child and their makeup and their ability. Um, but if you look at our culture, the left. And all the bad ideas of the left have taken over the college higher education. No doubt. They've conquered that. If you look at it as as a battle, they have taken it. They have a stronghold there. And I think what we've been experiencing that's been shocking is that battle has now
1: moved to high school, middle school, and elementary. It
0: wasn't there before.
1: Yeah. By the way, I do want to say this. We, we have this sentiment, and I think we need to stop doing it, where we're like, Twitter's not the real world. Well, it's not, but it also says something about what's going on in the world. So we, we don't take these things seriously enough. And we used to say, well, these college kids, when they, when they graduate and they get into the real world, you know, they their uh, silly ideas that they got from these radical professors they will be tested against the crucible of real life, and they'll change. But actually, the opposite is happening now, is that yep. they're starting to shape culture. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think, uh I, th- I my, and we did a, a class on reclaiming education, and, and we kind of said the same thing. Like, I just think you need to pray. And, but going back to calling, like, what is my calling in my culture? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is my responsibility? And I think, too, with education, what is the calling that God's put on our family or on my student? And and maybe it's like, hey, homeschool to fifth grade, and then maybe private school, middle school, and then you might find that God tells you to put your kid in, in public high school. Yeah. I think every family is going to be different. But there is a tendency to to escape, right? Yeah. Like if we could all live like in this farmland and it's Christian ideas and we're safe and we're like away from culture, right? It's like the village. (laughs) Yeah. That Shyamalan movie. Yeah. You know, but there's something that's like, oh, like that would be great. And it's kind of like a heaven on earth thing. Yeah. Where like everything's right. Everything's just. And we're just not going to get that until Jesus returns. But I think to to run into the hills, you know, would – you know, it's just the church is called to be in in the culture, and it's I, I in this it's interesting in this day and age. I feel like who I learn the most from outside of obviously Christ, and but are are the guys in exile in Babylon, like they they are living in our day. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the Esther, the Nehemiah. I mean, it kind of carried over from Babylon
1: to Persia, but those captive uh, Jews we can learn a lot from. Yeah. yeah, I think that's I think that's so perfect and probably a good place to kind of end is that uh, I think we're We are no longer living in a Christian nation. I think we're fully post-Christian. And the cool thing is, is that we have a text that's written from a post-Christian or a pre-Christian perspective. So we're going to have to revert to that if we're starting to move further and further away from biblical ideas. We need to move back to what Scripture shows us. Uh, dealing with a context that is not steeped in biblical tradition. And so we're in a really good place. So I think the optimistic message throughout all that we're experiencing as a nation, when you talk about critical race theory and being taught to stinking middle schoolers and sometimes elementary school students, and then you think about uh, gender studies and how just ridiculous uh, that is and how that's being taught now to elementary school kids. Um, and then you think about all of these different fronts where the church should ha- should have a voice. And I think we have a privileged perspective because uh, because we have the opportunity now to introduce ideas to people that they have probably never fully heard. But mm-hmm. here's, I think, where what you're doing is so important is that if we're going to create a platform, if we're going to speak out on these things, we're going to have to do it in a way that's logical, that espouses truthful ideas, and that stands firm on the things that we're talking about, has the confidence to be able to actually speak to these issues. Because if we show up and we're just like, read your Bible, um, I don't know that that's gonna effectively reach people who have no biblical understanding. right? We're gonna have to be able to speak in a compelling, in a winsome, loving way, but also be firm with with what the scripture actually says, but speak to people in a way that they can understand it. Um, and, 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 and if we can show up like that, I think, I think this is, I think we're headed toward revival, but if not, I think, I think we may be headed to a certain type of exile. I hate to sound apocalyptic, but I think the America that we know will no longer exist. And again, travel around to the rest of the world if you don't think that's a scary proposition. Go to a place like the Congo where I went, where there is absolutely zero fidelity in their elections. There is no democracy It's a totalitarian regime where the people have no, like any of the, the, Forget free college, man. They got nothing. <laughs> There's no infrastructure. Right. Um, no police. No nothing. No. And yeah. if there is, they're totally 100% corrupt. Um, they're just tools of the of the government. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it, it, we're headed to one of those two places. And I think what you're doing plays a pivotal role in urging us toward toward revival. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate all that you're doing, man. So um, before we end, I want. Because the cool thing about this podcast is that it reaches uh, a wide audience. Um, I want people to know uh, where they can find what you guys are doing. So direct us to, um, to the website or wherever where people can access some of the content you guys are producing. Yeah,
0: so the best place to find some of this content, if you go to calvarychat.com. So okay. that's C-H-A-T-T dot com. Uh, if you go to Ministries. You'll see civics and culture. Click on the tab, and then you have access to everything that we've ever done. Okay, and then, like we had Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Bill Federer, so all of that content from big, you know bigger names, yeah, you know, is, is all there. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, and the, the stuff you guys are doing are, is really truly exceptional. But then we're also a very unique church, and then we're getting some of these voices. I thought the Dennis and uh, Prager and Eric Metaxas thing was really really cool, and I I think that's. Uh, probably just the tip of the iceberg for us i would assume yeah so december
0: 15th we have probably the the biggest event we've ever done can
1: you can you tell us what that is
0: yeah i think i can okay i think yeah um so with everything that's going on with covid and with the vaccine in particular Mm um and the mandate and the mandate uh especially the like how it's kind of it's reaching into kids now Mm -hmm. um that's something that we've wanted to to deal with, but we wanted to be careful. We want. I mean that that is something that is that is like very hot button. Sure. That is very divisive because there's a lot of it's it's medicine, Some emotional it's, feelings, it's about science. It's, there's a lot of things, you know, and it's like there's men way more qualified than than any of us to talk about it. So um, I'm surprised you didn't call me, but that's all right. right. <laughs> I'm Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so we're bringing in um, Doctor Peter McCullough. Mm -hmm. on december 15th cool Um, and he's going to talk to about covid he's going to talk about the vaccines the mandates everything masks all of that and kind of just give us uh, a a perspective from somebody that is an expert Mm -hmm. like an expert in the field gold like the highest you can get and just say like hey here's how we need to process this information so we're hoping that it's a it's an event that brings out not just our church but our community and Mm -hmm. a lot of the decision makers in our community again and and just to say like just hear this side yeah not like you have to listen to that you have but just like hey just check this out because really it's getting harder and harder to find this information
1: and it's a so crazy that you're i mean obviously you can go to wherever peter's doing stuff but it's so crazy that in terms of like media and stuff like that like you're going to Calvary Chapel now to hear this well, stuff. Yeah, but
0: right when you look up his name, immediately you're finding, like, the hit pieces on him. Yeah. And then when you find out how credentialed he is... do go, folks. Yeah, right? But it's, it's just hard to find it. So yeah. it is interesting. But I think this, this is the the beauty of the church, is the church is the the place that we should all be able to gather and talk about everything. Yeah. You know, obviously, the, the Word of God, and but all truth. Like you said earlier in the podcast, like, all truth is our truth, you know, because yeah. it comes from the source
1: of truth. Yeah, you know, all truth is His truth, for sure, yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for everything that you're yes, doing. Sir. And uh, appreciate the the work, and can't wait to see what happens in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great. Right. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to indiethinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.